never gets old. Every Christmas. Thank you, ladies. If you've ever wondered what singing in heaven must sound like, that must be it. Wow. What a blessing. I, every year they sing that, and I never cease to be amazed and appreciate the work that uh, it takes to make that happen. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for being here today, and it's what we designated Christmas Sunday here. Um, but we are going to be here next Sunday, and we hope that you'll be here with us. We're meeting at 1045. We'll just have our morning worship time. We'll not have any of our children's ministries or uh, adult Bible study time. We'll not have an evening service. We're going to let you have that with your family. And, and, but I hope that you'll come. And, and I told our folks this morning in Bible study that... Um, if you tell your family now, we're going to church on Sunday, so bring your clothes. We don't want any excuses. And uh, so I hope that you'll come. We're going to bring the kids up. We're going to have some fun with them on Sunday morning and, and uh, just enjoy some time singing and some time in the Word and then uh, spend the rest of the day and the evening with uh, our family. So, again, thank you for being here today. If you've not been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been in a, a brief three-week Christmas series titled Fear Not. And what we've been doing is we have been looking at the three angel appearances um, as, as they are written in the Christmas story. And uh, two weeks ago, uh, we talked about how the angel appeared to Mary. And the lesson that we took away from that is this. We don't ever have to fear what God asks us to do. And then last week, if you were here, you know, we looked at the life of Joseph and, and the dilemma that Joseph was in and being betrothed to his wife, which in that day and age was considered an official marriage, but not yet having consummated the marriage as per their custom, Mary ends up pregnant. So Joseph has this dilemma, what, what do I do? What do I tell my family? What do I tell my friends? How am I going to handle this? What are people going to say? What are people going to think? And here's what we learned last week. We don't have to be afraid of what people think. Today in Luke chapter 2, if you want to join us there this morning, we're going to look at another uh, angelic appearance this time, the angel appears to a group of shepherds as they kept watch over their flocks by night. And with the Lord's help, I'm, I'm going to address this morning a, a fear that, that I believe many people have, and that is the fear of where they stand with God. I'm convinced this morning that deep down more people that are willing to admit are concerned about their standing with God because they know, they may not know all the facts and all the details, but they know that one day there's going to be a day of reckoning. And they understand that the outcome of that day is of eternal consequence. I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud this morning, but how many of you struggle with that very thought? 
or have struggled with that very thought, where do I stand with God? Am I good or not good? Am I in or am I out? Am I a thumbs up or a thumbs down? If you have questions about where you stand with the Lord, then I'm convinced that what we're going to talk about today could really be a game changer for you. And so I hope that you'll open your heart this morning. Let's get right into our text and then we'll get, uh, get on with the message. Verse 8, Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their fields by night, keeping watch over their flock. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, there it is, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto us, or unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let's go back to verse, to verse 10. Where the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. That phrase, good tidings, is actually just one word in the original language of the New Testament. And it means this, it means to announce good news. It's used uh, specifically in the sense of evangelizing. As a matter of fact, that same Greek word is translated preach. 22 times in the New Testament. It's translated preach the gospel 23 times in the New Testament. And note what the good news was that the angel came to announce. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And we'll get into all of that later, but I, I want to take a, a few moments this morning to talk about who this angel announced this good news too. Now think with me for a minute. If you were to come into possession of news that good, I'm talking about the news that a, the Messiah is about to be born. I mean, we're talking about the one who's going to have the ability to save the whole world from their sin. If you came in into possession of that knowledge, who would you want to know that first? I mean, I, in my mind, I'm thinking that I would, would try to get an audience with the king or, 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 or someone in royalty to let them know, listen, the Messiah is coming. At least I would want to find some high-ranking religious official to go and, and announce this, this news to that, that uh, the Messiah is coming. <laughs> but God chose to deliver the greatest announcement in all of the world to a group of shepherds. And here's why that's significant this morning. Because shepherds were one of the most disrespected groups of people in that day. I mean, they stood on the, the bottom rung of the Palestinian social ladder. One theologian by the last name of Jeremiah wrote that shepherds were despised in everyday life. 
In general, they were considered second class and untrustworthy. This theologian Jeremiah goes on to document the fact that shepherds were deprived of all civil rights, which means, among other things, that they could not fulfill judicial offices, nor could they be used as witnesses in a court of law. Shepherds were officially labeled sinners, which was a technical term for a class of despised people. Shepherds were so despised that the religious leaders taught that they were not good enough for God, that they could not be made right with God because they could not live up to the religious rules of the day. That being the case, it's understandable why a shepherd would live in fear of of his standing before God. No doubt these men were made to feel unworthy. But how could you not feel unworthy when you're told over and over and over again, you're not good enough? Now here's the deal. You have to understand that these men were nomads. They were wanderers. Their job, their their profession took them out into the fields, uh, away from their homes and away from their families, and most importantly, away from the temple. And being away from the temple meant that there was no way that they could perform the religious duties required of them to be right with God. So again, they felt unworthy. As I thought about that, I thought to myself, How many times people come into churches just like this every Sunday feeling unworthy. Thinking to themselves, I know what I did this week that I shouldn't have done. And I know the things that I should have done but I didn't do. How in the world could God ever love me? And they feel unworthy. Others feel inadequate like the shepherds must have felt. The shepherds were uneducated, so they never felt like they could measure up. And I can relate to that, specifically this time of year, when I drive into my driveway. Every house on our block, I'm telling you, it looks like a, uh, it, it, it looks like a, 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 a Christmas movie. Every house has lights on it on my block, except ours. Pitch black. (laughs) Let me tell you why. It's because my wife and I are more spiritual than our neighbors. (laughs) No, no. We're saving our money to give to missions. (laughs) Okay, I just lied to you. Right here on the platform in God's house. I just lied to you. Mark it down. Preacher just lied to you. Now here's the real reason I'm a loser as a father and a husband and a papa. (laughs) I'm too lazy to put on the low lights and I'm too scared to put on the high ones. (laughs) I'm inadequate. Okay? I, I admit it. My name's Bill. And I'm inadequate. 
all right? That's, that's the truth. These shepherds felt inadequate when they compared themselves to other Jews. You see, one of the, the big rules of that day was you had to keep the Sabbath. That means that there had to be one day when, when you did absolutely no, no work. It was total rest. But as a shepherd, you couldn't do that. Sheep had to be cared for and watched over and protected 24-7, 365. You couldn't just take a day and say, all right, sheepies, you just go out there and hang tight. I'll be back tomorrow. You couldn't do that. You had to watch the sheep. And so these men felt like spiritual failures. Have you ever felt like that? You look at people around you and they just seem to be so close to God. I mean, I'm talking about those people who have a Bible verse for everything. They're always talking about the Bible. They're always talking about this book of the Bible and that book of the Bible and and their prayers are just so eloquent and so powerful. And you think back to your last prayer, and it was something like this. God, please help me not to kill my kid before we even get to church. <laughs> you feel so unspiritual. Third challenge the shepherds would have had is that they felt unloved. I mentioned Dr. Jeremiah earlier. Here's something else that he wrote. To buy wool, milk, or a kid from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would have been stolen property. Granted, some shepherds probably earned that reputation. But others were just victims of, of cruel stereotypes. A lot of people just didn't trust a shepherd. And they tried to stay as far away from them as they possibly could, not just because of the people they were, but to be honest, they stunk. They didn't want to be around them. And so it's easy to see how they would have felt unloved. There may be some here today who feel the same way. You feel unloved because as a child, one of your parents left home and you've always wondered what was wrong with you. Why, why couldn't they stick around? Why did me and mom, or, or what did me and mom or me and dad do that was so terrible? There may be some here today who spend Christmas alone this year because their spouse chose someone else or just decided they didn't love them anymore so you look at yourself and wonder what did I do wrong I tried I, I did the best I could some here may look in the mirror and wonder how anyone could love the person that's looking back at them because you don't even love you. And if you don't love you, and if others don't love you, how in the world could God 
love you. You know, it's amazing sometimes a difference between perception and reality. Here we are in church on, on Sunday morning, and I'm, I'm telling you that sometimes perception in this setting, perception is nowhere near reality. Listen, nowhere near reality. People look around and, and they, 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 they look at this, this lady and say, oh man, she's, she has just got it all going on. Look at that. Or they look over here and they, they see a man and, and they think to themselves, that guy is so much more successful than I am. And they see this family come to church, they walk in together and they sit together and they, they, they're convinced that this family, man, they just, they're so great. I'm just so messed up. Can I be honest with you this morning? The reality is you're sitting among people today who are struggling. Some because they feel unworthy. Some because they feel inadequate as a husband, as a father, as a wife, as a mother, as a parent. As a friend, as a Christian, others here today may feel unloved for whatever reason. Some are part of families that are so incredibly fractured. There may be someone sitting next to you today or behind you or in front of you or down the row from you who on the outside, it looks like they've, they've got it all together. Who on the inside are absolutely falling apart. Perception is not always reality. Especially when we come to church. Unworthy. Inadequate unloved hey here's the bottom line today religion listen religion just didn't work for these shepherds and to be 100 percent honest with you today it's never worked ever for anyone let me say that again religion has never worked for anyone Now, that may sound strange coming out of the mouth of a, a pastor. But let me just tell you this. I hate religion. And what's more, God hates it. And he always has. Listen, God didn't send Jesus to offer religion. He sent Jesus to offer a relationship. Religion is, has always left people feeling empty. All of this religious going on and all of these rituals and all of these things that just go on and on and on and on, week after week, year after year. But yet people leave empty. That's why God sent a person. 
because he wanted us to have a relationship with him just not come to church and go through a bunch of motions he wanted us to feel him he wanted us to sense him he wanted us to know that he's with us Emmanuel God with us and the fact that he sent a person is what the good tidings or the good news was about that the angel came to publish for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a person who is Christ the Lord. That's the good news. And that's what I want to spend what time I have remaining looking at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the right a few books to the book of Romans. Would you do that? The book of Romans, and I want you to go to chapter 3. The book of Romans was written by a man named Paul, who, by the way, was as religious as they come. He lists his religious pedigree in, in Philippians chapter 3. And to be honest with you, it's pretty, pretty impressive as far as religion is concerned. But the truth is, it never did him a lick of good as far as his standing with God was concerned. But if you go to Acts chapter 9, you'll find that one day that changed for Paul when he met Jesus and he traded his religion for a relationship. And at that point, his life was so transformed that he became one of the greatest representatives of Christ in history. Look at what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. In other words, we cannot ever be made right with God by keeping the law, because the law was never intended to save us. The purpose is to show us how sinful we are and how badly we need to be saved. And here's the good news of verse 21. God has shown us the way to be right with him without being religious. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And here's how it happens, verse 22. Are you with me this morning? Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. The way that anyone ever has been saved or ever will be saved is by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Real quick, let's cover these these three truths. Number one, you cannot be saved by keeping the law or doing good works. Let me tell you why that was such good news for the people of Paul's day, because they were trying to keep 613 Old Testament laws, and they were failing miserably. Listen, they couldn't even keep the 10 big ones. Here's truth number two, the purpose of the law is to show us our need of a Savior. 
For by the law, Paul said, it's not to make us right with God. It's not to improve our standing with God. The purpose of the law is to show us that we don't have a good standing with God. For by the law, Paul said, is the knowledge of sin. That's how we learn how sinful we are. And church, this is really big because one of the fundamental flaws of our day is that people actually think they're good because they're religious. No doubt some here would, would say, yeah, I, I, think I, I think I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I've seen some bad people, and I'm certainly not one of them. Let's be honest. When we, when we compare ourselves with other people, it's pretty good to come to that conclusion. Yeah, compared to him, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, think about it. All of us this morning compared to, let's say, Adolf Hitler, we're all pretty good people, Right? Absolutely, we're stunning, we're stellar people. I mean, we're, we're, we're heroes compared to him. But where are we at this morning when we compare ourselves with God's standard? Not some man-made standard, but where do we stand with God when we take the plumb line of, of his truth and measure our lives by it. Let's see. If you've ever, if you've ever told a lie, raise your hand. Raise it high. Your hand's not up. Liar, liar, pants on fire. All right, you can put them down. How many have ever stolen anything? Liar, liar, pants on fire. Some of you are too young to remember this, but back in the day when I'd go grocery shopping with my mom, and my brother, he was a saint. He never did anything like this, but I did. You remember they used to have those Brock's candies displays? They had the bins, and they had the butterscotch, the wrapped red cinnamon things, and the caramel or caramel chunks. I don't know what the right word is. I can say this now because statute of limitations is long gone. But there was a time or 20 <laughs> that I'd sneak by there and grab a chunk of caramel. And I'd go where my mom wasn't, and I'd eat it. And then I'd go by and get another one. Yeah, dude. Some guy down here is going, wow. <laughs> so here's... Here's the truth. I've lied and I've stolen. Now, don't raise your hand, okay? Please, keep, this time keep your hands to yourself because I don't want you to be in trouble with your spouse. But how many of you, serious question, how many of you have ever looked lustfully at somebody? Don't raise your hand. Now, answer me this. If we've ever told a lie, that makes us a what? Yeah, pretty simple. If we've ever stolen anything, that makes us a what? If we've ever lusted, that makes us a what, according to Matthew? An adulterer. So we're just a bunch of lying, thieving adulterers. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Welcome to Fellowship Baptist Church, where we always do our best to make people feel good about themselves. Now listen, that wasn't just a, a silly little exercise 
I did that to prove a very important point that if you miss will cost you an eternity in heaven. You'll never go to heaven until you first of all come to grips with the fact and the reality that I am a sinner. Bottom line, I'm a sinner. When judged by the Bible, listen to me this morning, we're not good people. We do not deserve to go to heaven. And we really do need a Savior. And that Savior is not religion. That Savior is who? Jesus. Christ the Lord. Christianity was never meant to be a religion. It's a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to this final thought this morning. Salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. It's not Christ plus some church. Be it Methodist or Lutheran or Christian or Catholic or Baptist or whatever. It's not salvation or, or, or Christ plus some church. It's not Christ plus baptism, whether that happened to you as an infant or as a child or even as an adult. That's a great thing. It, it's good to be baptized, and it has its place in the believer's life, but it's in the believer's life. It doesn't make us a believer. Salvation is, is not in, in, in Christ and communion. Salvation is not in Christ and praying this prayer or praying that prayer. Salvation is not in Christ plus trying to be the best person I can possibly be. Listen to me this morning. Eternal life comes through Jesus Christ alone. Religion is all about us and our attempts to earn God's approval. Religion is about what we do. A relationship is about what Jesus has already done. Religion says if I work hard and be the person that I ought to be, I might be accepted by God. Relationship says because I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone, I am accepted by God. And because I'm accepted by God, I want to work for Him. I want to serve Him. I want to be the best I can be for Him. Jesus is enough. Religion will fail you. You will fail you. But Jesus will never fail you. No matter how unworthy, no matter how inadequate, no matter how unloved you may think you are, God wants to save you. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up or how many people you've hurt or even how many people have hurt you. You can be made right with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to show you one more thing I'm done. Look at Paul's words again in verse 22. Paul said that God's righteousness that is, being right with God or being saved, 
Look what he said, is unto all. Now look at me this morning. That means that anyone in here this morning can be right with God. Anyone and everyone in here this morning and literally all around the world this morning can be saved. It's unto all. But he said it's only the possession of all who believe. In other words, while everybody can be saved, only those who are willing to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. So as we bow our heads in prayer this morning,